Hello and welcome to QIC's QPod Investor Podcast Series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development, and each Monday morning we invite our listeners into our Liquid Market Team's Financial Market Update Meeting to get a briefing on the latest themes impacting the equity, fixed income, commodity, currency, and volatility markets. Good morning. It is Monday the 20th of July, and once again we start the week with plenty of market-moving news with our nation's parliament closing due to that Victorian and New South Wales coronavirus outbreaks and calls for our politicians to be aware they could be super-spreaders could a virtual parliament in Australia be an outcome? This week, the fiscal cliff worries we front and centre as the JobKeeper and Job Seeker review was announced. And with now 14.5 million cases globally and 600,000 deaths, we hear that the 750 euro stimulus package appears to be in jeopardy. And California is in lockdown for all indoor activities, including schooling going online. In amongst all this, the market's desire for all things Dow and gold seems to continue. Where will our market side in this balancing between the bull and bear forces? Are the bear forces growing? Let's find out. Bev, can I get you into the conversation, please? If you read our papers, it's all Australian news. Will our nation's parliament be market impacting news, however? Are we starting to be guilty of forgetting the global macro picture in Australia? Are those bear forces growing? Can we bring you into the conversation, please, around macro forces? Yeah, hi. Good morning, Craig. Yeah, look, the markets haven't really had a strong new theme or trend um, for a few weeks now. We're still seeing, you know, generally speaking, quite positive um, environments for for risky assets and very tight ranges for for global bond markets. We're not really seeing any um, sort of new developments to to be causing uh, a major break in that trend. And obviously, it's, it's European summer and, and volumes are pretty low as well. Um, but in terms of you know last week's moves, we're seeing this tussle between the market starting to to look ahead and, and um, you know really looking for that medium term solution to COVID um, with a number of positive stories being released around a potential um, vaccine and some early positive results from some of the human trials that have been taking place. Um, AstraZeneca and Oxford University are a couple of those that are, are due to report uh, imminently on, on the results of their trials. And, and that really did get um, the market, you know, give it a little bit more of, of a positive boost last week. Um, but as you said, uh, you know, the actual COVID developments themselves are still looking very dire. And if anything, um, not only not really um, showing much improvement, but but continuing to to deteriorate in a number of places. So global new cases um, rose 233,000 late last week, um, and that's near the all-time high um, through this episode. You know, so far, and and you know, markets particularly. Uh, are clearly looking very closely at what's happening in the US. Um, developments there are, you know, deteriorating consistently now. They're not really showing any signs of improvement. Um, as you mentioned there in, in your introduction, um, there's a number of states where we're starting to see, you know, new lockdowns and new daily records starting to come through. So, you know, Florida is, is obviously, you know, right at the epicentre of what's going on here. Arizona um, showing, you know, no no improvement whatsoever. And now California, obviously one of the largest states saying, you know, the 70% of schools are not going to reopen for the year ahead. And LA is now close to um, issuing another stay at home 
border. So, you know, clearly for markets, um, you know, th these are, you know, it's a backdrop that 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 is is worrying, um, but for the time being, not having a major impact in terms of um, risky asset trends. Um, look, the other COVID development to touch on is, and this is something we've been talking about for a while now, that we always knew when, when countries were going to be reopening that we were going to get those cases starting to re-emerge. Um, and we're getting a little bit more evidence of that coming through as well. Uh, in the last week with Hong Kong, for example, it's now recording uh, a new record um, for the first time in, in its new daily cases, new new um, orders for civil servants to stay at home, um, wearing of masks. So, look, it's it's obviously something the market's going to have to contend with for a while. Um, but for the time being, we're not really seeing a lot of improvement in, in global COVID developments. Um, and as you touched on here, um, obviously there's a lot for for domestic papers to focus on, um, given you know that we've got Victoria. Uh, reporting 363 new cases on yesterday uh, and really not showing any signs of, of imminent stabilisation despite the fact we're now 12 days into lockdown. Um, Victoria announcing they're going to make masks compulsory as well and obviously New South Wales ticking up to 18. So yeah, the trajectory is still not looking great on that front, um, but so far not, not really still having too much impact on, on market mood and and one of the reasons for that i think is that that data um, globally has been quite positive um, over the last few weeks and months and so you know really since you know um, april we're seeing data bounce you know quite impressively out of recession particularly the data that we're seeing for may and june a lot of that really coming through consumer spending numbers um, we saw that in the us we've seen it in australia we've seen it in china as well you know really strong bounce from that pent-up consumer demand that's starting to feed through to um, manufacturing and industrial production which has also bounced you know a lot more than everyone had expected so a lot of estimates of q2 growth um, are starting to be revised higher. Um, we've we've talked a lot about the fact that the economic surprise indices um, has has you know really reached levels that we've never seen in history before because data had been surprising so much above expectations, but that there was going to be a limit we thought how, to how long that could continue, and we may now be starting to see an inflection point. And um, you know, with some of the consumer confidence numbers that we saw late last week, and I'll leave that for for Andrew to talk a little bit more about but you know it, it may be that that we're you know past the period of you know really strong upside surprises for data thanks bev um robert can i bring you into the conversation please bev mentioned at the start of her um answer that there's been a bit of a lack of themes is this being played out in the equity markets and in recent weeks we've also been talking about this uh, run of gold and potentially nearing all-time highs is that under threat at the moment Yes, Craig. I mean, in terms of the um, markets, they seem to be ignoring the COVID backdrop and really just ground out another week higher with the S&P adding a little over 1%. What we did see was a bit of a reversal in the momentum of the NASDAQ, which we've, I guess, in previous weeks, we've commented how well it's been doing and outperforming all other, other markets. Last week, it actually finished down 1.7%. And we saw the Europe and UK both outperform. Uh, which is again a reversal of what we've seen previously. The UK finished up 2.7% with the Euro stocks up 1.9%. Australia actually lagged both of those markets uh, in the week. 
We also saw a reversal with of fortunes within the equity factor space as well, with equity value performing extremely well at the expense of both equity quality and momentum. Volatility, as you'd probably expect, and as we would expect, it sold off in line with expectations. It was down about 1.7 vol, finishing at around about 25.7 vol, which is only one volatility point off the low we've seen since the COVID crisis. In commodity space, it was pretty quiet. Uh, the, only, the only point to note I'd say is um, within the precious metal complex, gold's had a bit of a, a break. And what we've seen is silver significantly outperforming. So it was up 3.5%, whereas uh, gold was only up 50 basis points. And Rob, with your comments around volatility there, does that suggest further that being a fear index indicator that markets aren't worried about potential volatility moving forward? I think partly, but I'd say, I mean, in terms of our forward vol, it's still up around the 30 level. So I guess in terms of what the forecast is, we're seeing, I guess, higher vol in the future. I think a lot of the volatility at the short end is really responding to the low realised volatility uh, that we've been seeing in markets. Thank you. Andrew, could I please ask you to join us? Um, it's been an interesting test case for the global economy. Bev gave us a nice backdrop at the start with regards to the market looking for some direction from the data. And of course, recently, well, I believe we've had some improving Chinese economic data as well. So could I please get you to highlight what's happening with that US inflation rate and what this all means for investors? Thanks, Craig. Yes, China was interesting last week, and I think it's an interesting test case for the global economy, as you alluded to. Um, the Q2 GDP data in China came in better than expected last week. So it was up to 3.2% year on year versus 2.4% expected. And I think it's interesting from a global perspective in that it just goes to show how quickly the economic recovery can take effect um, once we've got this return to normalisation and mobility, and also an effective healthcare response. The other interesting aspect of the Chinese data was just how broad-based the economic data is. And I think it bodes pretty well for, as Bev alluded to earlier, Q2 GDP in the global economy and just how well um, you know, Q2 GDP can maybe able to bounce um, relative to expectations given people are expecting a pretty muted, um, lukewarm Q2 GDP response. The other theme in markets last week was just the outperformance of US inflation. So US 10-year break-evens closed around five, five basis points higher last week. That was on the back of a better-than-expected University of Michigan inflation print, but also an op-ed in Bloomberg by Tim Dye, which outlined that the Fed may be attempting to undertake an inflation targeting, average inflation targeting the US rather than an inflation average number. So what that means, it would, it would mean that typically inflation is targeted from below. So that means that rather than with an inflation target of 2% average over time, what it would mean would be that we can afford to overshoot on inflation rather than undershoot on inflation over a long period of time. So what that means is that, you know, inflation expectations in the US um, can potentially rise from here. We've had that theme in portfolios for a while now that shift from monetary to fiscal policy, that continued strength in economic data, that increase in monetary supply, and also US federal support of inflation, both explicitly and implicitly in, in the TIPS market, will continue to remain supportive for US breaks. Thanks, Andrew. And that inflation ninja is going to be just an inflation factor going forward, I think, because uh, we're certainly calling it out. Thank you for the update there. Paul, I mentioned in the opening remarks there the concerns around that fiscal support or fiscal stimulus from Europe. I've got to ask the question, mate, what's going on in Europe? Are they not getting the situation here with regards to COVID or is this a, another sort of European thing? Can you update us, please? Yeah, thanks, everybody. Um, as 
is normal with Europe. It's quite a complex sort of uh, undertone going on um, with a group of four that is essentially going to be the holdouts here, right? We have about uh, 700 billion euro recovery package that has been um, put forward by the commission. Uh, it's backed by the largest players, you know, Italy, Spain, France, and Germany. Um, but we have people like the Dutch, the Netherlands, uh, Austria, Denmark, and Sweden that have actually been holding out. So uh, within that breakup of 700 billion, it's the argument is whether it's half-half loans and grants. So I grants you don't pay back, loans you do. And um, so what the uh, larger uh, nations want to do is to make sure that there's a, a distribution to the more uh, poor nations, and that's essentially what the debate is going on at the moment. It's a very live debate. We're two days over our deadline. Obviously, this was meant to be Friday. It's Sunday night in Europe, and it looks like Denmark's actually broken away from the group of four and went into the uh, to the main tent. So that'll continue to be interesting. Look, um, in terms of voting rights, Austria, the Netherlands, and Sweden have very little say here. Um, but they can make life very difficult. If you remember the EU 27, each and every single country has a veto over this. So, um, and to give you an idea, you know, Hungarian president, he's already been given the mandate to veto if he doesn't get what he wants uh, in this. So it's quite a bit of um, uh, political posturing, quite a bit of um, typical European fashion, um, very boisterous and very... Uh, challenging on Friday, but then things have sort of taken a little bit of a more settled approach on Saturday and tonight. And from what I'm understanding is I think things are becoming much more conciliatory and uh, there will be um, extra tulips bought out of the Dutch just to buy them off, I suspect, but we'll see how that plays out. I like um, it, Paul. Paul, just quick on that topic there. Yeah. Do you expect the market to sort of soak up this delay, if you will? And do you do you, do you think there'll be an understanding from the market, this is how Europe works? Or do you expect yeah. there to be some sort of reaction from the markets and become a little bit more volatile? No, I think the, I think that's that's right. Like, you know, we, we even talked about it last the end of last week was, you know, the potential for Europe to kick the can down the road. Absolutely. The reality is, though, they've, they've had this two-day extension because everybody goes on holidays from tomorrow. So there'll be a great um, focusing of minds in Brussels tonight. And of course, uh, I think Euro opened up 20 pips lower on the back of this. So nothing really significant in terms of market reaction. And, if, you know, look, at the end of the day, the periphery remains very cheap. Um, I think things like a Italy out at 160 pips over versus Spain at 86 basis points over, you're getting almost compensated twice for own Italian spreads. Um, they remain very cheap, so I think those have some way to go right across the board from periphery and as well as on on the credit side. And certainly from a euro perspective, I think that's quite interesting as well. So uh, there's a lot of value still there. And I think the market will, this should be used to the Europe doing this. And Paul, as we sort of move out from Europe and get into the emerging markets, um, obviously COVID's had quite an impact in many countries in the emerging market areas. Um, how has it gone from a market's point of view with regards to reacting to those news and also how is liquidity in those markets faring up? Yeah, we, we talked about this a few times, Craig, in terms of liquidity-driven rally in emerging markets. That continues to be the case, even in light of some very heavy um, fundamental factors, you know, from deficits uh, to, to increased debt issuance to cutting of rates that has um, uh, 
would give you a very strong backdrop uh, of, of being negative on emerging markets. We've also had, you know, very heavily hit Latin America places that um, with COVID-19 has been much more more greater than, you know, perhaps Eastern Europe and, um, and Asia in that context. But they have on the other side of that being the cutting rates, you know, we think we still expect 17 out of the 25 emerging markets um, to actually be cutting uh, throughout the rest of this year. Um, there is a differentiation in terms of the growth pickup, you know, like I mentioned, LATAM is lagging places like Eastern Europe and, and, and Asia. However, what's very important is you've actually got an asset class that's outperforming very significantly, um, high yield and uh, other sort of yielding asset classes in the fixed income space. And also importantly, we've started to see the flows diminish. So we're not getting the same extent of negative outflows, Craig. And so essentially what we're going to see is if if we get momentum going the other way and start to get inflows, we actually think this is going to be a really interesting asset class, emerging market debt, and I think it's going to outperform quite significantly. So it'll be, it'll be pretty interesting. Fantastic, Paul. Love your conviction. Richard, can I please get an update from you on those global credit markets? Uh, you know, when I look back at some of our previous conversations, it was all about, you know, unprecedented flow. Of course, we've come into the holiday season. Is it starting to now act a bit more fundamentally driven with regards to uh, those flow levels? Richard, can you give us an update, please? Yeah, I think coming into the holiday period, Craig, um, you know, everything has slowed down a little bit. Um, you know, issuance, for instance, has been lower over the past few weeks, and that's really about the Northern Hemisphere summer and also blackout periods for um, for corporates coming into earnings season. So last week we saw only um, 12 bill of issuance in the US, and this has really seen dealer inventories fall to pretty low levels. And at the same time, we're seeing positive fund flows with um, around four and a half billion to IG funds in the US. So all in all, you know, a, a technical picture that points to, to further tightening Another thing that's um, that's caught our eye over the last week is, you know, the Fed secondary market purchase program. And just just updating um, listeners on that, you know, the Fed last week bought 154 mil per day of corporate bonds and ETFs. So that's the lowest pace since um, purchases began on May the 12th. Recall they've been averaging over 300 mil daily initially. So with credit markets behaving. Um, and, and the step down in buying is consistent with what the Fed's prior guidance was, and that's they would, they would buy less if market conditions improved. And you recall the aim of this program is not actually to drive spreads tighter, but really to enhance liquidity and, um, and market functioning. So in that way, it's pretty different to your typical government QE bond program, where they aim to drive um, rates lower and keep them suppressed. So we, we think this is really important for investors and creates um, a Goldilocks environment where credit investors can take advantage of the current wider spreads on offer, but at the same time take some comfort that Fed will step in um, if spreads begin to move quickly or uncontrollably wider. So, so that we, we feel it's a, it's a real positive and you know, will mean that the carry environment can actually hang around for a little longer. And then finally, um, just secondary market trading volumes have been a lot lower, and that's again around these quieter summer months, and, and it's and it's pretty normal. So 30 to 40 percent lower than usual. Um, it feels a lot quieter than that, though, I'd say, and and that I think is really just around you know March and and between March and May and the volatility seen from COVID. Thank you, Richard. 
Phil, can I bring you to the conversation, please? Last week, we had the FT announce that investors were getting set for US earnings seasons to be without precedent. It noted there might be a 45% plunge in quarterly profits, according to FactSet. Can you bring us up to speed, please, on that emerging US earnings season coming to us and how those corporate activities might be looking? Yeah, Craig, for sure. So um, on the, I guess, overall expectations for the season, we, we did, talked about that last Monday as well, going into reporting. And yeah, so that is what market or street estimates are for a, at the start of the reporting season, we're for around a 45 or 46% year on year fall in June quarter earnings. So w- what we probably expect to be the case that will come in a little better than that, but it will still be a big fall. So in terms of earnings, you, you're probably likely to get around minus 40%, depending on how the season goes. And Revenue is also weak, so revenue uh, expectations for, for are for about minus 11% year on year for the quarter. So it, it is definitely subdued, and that's understandable, obviously, given the COVID containment measures. But it has been the first week. I guess we're about we're just under 10% through S&P reporting season. So we've had 45 of companies out of the S&P 500 report to date and um, and the banks have dominated that the banks are obviously amongst the um, always amongst the sort of earlier reporters and and the season has started um, I would say strongly or very or, or well so we've had 86% of companies beating consensus on earnings um, and that's again dominated by the banks and we've had 73% of those that have reported beating consensus estimates on revenue. Um, so as we know, the money centre banks and uh, the brokers, we talked about these during the week last week, so they have largely reported good beats. I think Wells Fargo was the only one that probably didn't and the others have had actually some record levels of income on the back of the very strong uh, debt market and, and trading volumes that we've seen over the June quarter, and that's the record primary supply and a lot of trading activity as well. So that's really supported strong results from the banks and, and beats against consens- consensus, and that's despite um, continuing to increase their credit provisioning, which we like, and also um, NIM squeeze as well. But the results have, have been good. And otherwise, on the corporate side, um, some of the early corporates, and again, we talked about last week, PepsiCo, they had a good beat, and Johnson & Johnson also had good results. Uh, this week ahead, so the next two weeks are probably where the corporates will ramp up. There's still some bank reporting ongoing as well, but the, the corporates that we have this week to watch out for, we've got IBM tonight, we've got Coke, and also in Europe, we've got UBS tomorrow night. Then we have Microsoft Wednesday AT&T and Verizon in the back end of the week. So there's some important names for our funds amongst a host of other corporates as well. And interestingly on the tech stocks, obviously tech we know has been very strong. So just on Microsoft, um, despite COVID, its results are expected to be strong. So revenue for the quarters is, um, estimates are for an 11% increase in revenue and earnings to be flat, but that's at around 10.5 billion. So I guess illustrating giving some illustration of why tech is holding up so it's certainly um, less impacted in terms of direct or sensitivity to COVID. Thanks, Phil. Thank you, everyone, for your contributions this morning. I suppose, in summary, those markets continue to move on patiently in the face of those COVID outcomes still playing out. Thank you for listening to the Monday Morning Markets Update. Please watch out for our next QPod and have a super week ahead.